Attention audience, guess what? It's that time of the week. We know it, we love it, we can't wait. It is... <gasps> it's Friday, Friday, Friday Films. Da-da-da. That's right, good old Friday. We looked forward to it every week. Every week. We like Fridays because we still have Bond in Review. Bond in Review. We're at the, Pierce Brosnan block. The middle point, man. The middle point of Pierce Brosnan. We got two Brosnan movies left so after fun. this one. It's true. I know. I, I went through the DVD case and was like, I'm almost done. We're, we're almost to the, the Daniel Craig's. Like, we're so we're close to the end. Um, but we are back. Longer. Tomorrow Never Dies. And I have to say, I was really looking forward to this movie because this was my starting point in Bond growing up. Like, this was the first one I think I had on DVD that I constantly rewatching like oh yeah i'm gonna watch some cool spy movie i'm gonna mm-hmm. put put tomorrow never dies in so like watching this movie brought back all those like oh i loved it but when i was said and done and i was super excited because i'm like yeah it's my favorite movie and i'm like I, I started actually getting into the mindset of reading my review and talking to you it's really not as good as i thought it was <laughs> <laughs> no like it's, i love it it's i, it's, I like this movie it's, but it's definitely nostalgic. not the worst and and pierce brosnan is just as good as bond as he ever was in golden eye and, and ever will be so he's he's not the problem um Mm-mm. but it, it's got some problems man it's it, it does it does have some issues um pacing issues some some story some story holes yep. that just didn't really make sense um, yeah, and I've got the flow some, was the biggest. Thing. Yeah, and I've got some facts on that during trivia time that might explain why it's a little bit, uh, a little bit weaker than than Brosnan's first outing in Goldeneye. So there's there's a little bit of trivia surrounding that. Well, I am curious to get to that point. So let's jump into it and start. Tomorrow never dies. Tomorrow never dies. Released on December nineteenth, nineteen ninety seven. Um. Coming towards the end of the 90s, man. Good times. 97, mm-hmm. good year. Two years before The Matrix. Um, oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. Runtime of one hour, 59 minutes. So far, the shortest Bond movie to date. Um, and I think w- only one of two that fall under two hours. Um, one of the Daniel Craig's is a little bit shorter than this one. Um, and they're the, Not really. Yeah, they're the two shortest ones. I think it's Quantum of Solace, if I remember correctly. I think Quantum yeah, of Solace is a little shorter. makes sense. That's the one I least remember. Yeah, that's the one I'm not really looking forward to getting to because I remembered not liking that movie at all. Um, I think I only saw it once. I, yeah. I, I, have, I don't remember anything about it. <clears throat> so we'll get to it. Um, directed by Roger Spottiswood. Um, so we've got a new director to the Bond franchise. Um, known for a bunch of other movies. He, he did The Sixth Day with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, he, he's known for a bunch of action flicks. So he's, he's, he's done a lot of um, like mid-tier action movies. Um, but this is the only Bond movie he did. I don't think he does any more of them. Starring, yet again, Pierce Brosnan, Jonathan Price, and Michelle Yeoh. Budget of, wait for it, $110 million dollars we have like like it's like 45 million higher than goldeneye higher budget than goldeneye was it's crazy the budget on this movie was insane and i know they only get higher they only get bigger but this is this is the first time we've seen a budget of over a hundred million dollars for a bond movie um so we'll Mm. see how how high they end up getting especially in the daniel craigs which i know are freaking expensive 
Um, well, and that's just about any of those types of movies nowadays. Yeah. I mean, uh, also, the, I mean, uh, with all the graphics and stuff, I mean, movies are just more expensive to make now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, everything's increased. Mm-hmm. So let's get right on into it, good sir. The classic gun open in color. It's in color. Indeed. For all those who were Indeed. wondering. Um, um, what I do like is that they went back to more of a traditional Bond song. Yep. They like, didn't have that techno like they did in GoldenEye. They kind of went back to a normal, which was nice. Like I said in trivia last week, you know, they, they mm. got fan response that they didn't didn't like that intro. So they went back to the more classic Bond, um, mm. which is great, which is great. So from the gun barrel opening, we fade to a terrorist arms bazaar on the Russian border. A super secret spy camera watches as deals go down and M has a feed of the footage and the dealers are instantly ID'd. You would think this will be important to the plot of the movie. Not really, because none of the dealers really matter in this. Only one did. Only one of them did, yes. Which I completely missed when I first watched it until like later on in the yeah. movie. And I'm like, oh yeah. But even that one guy didn't have like a huge role. Um, um, not really. I mean, but his character played a role in the story. Yeah. yeah. That was about it. Um, but during this arms deal an, an American satellite encoder is spotted that controls satellite feeds. This is one of the items being sold and being sold to this man in particular. Um, the English Navy hops on the horn and, or the English Navy Admiral hops on the horn and immediately orders a naval ship to launch a missile at the deal taking out all of these bad guys in one go. Im's mm. upset about this because she wants her man on the ground to just do his job. She gets feedback, and the agent on the ground refuses to leave because he spots some Russian nukes at the site that may detonate, but the missile has already been launched before the admiral is able to call it off. At the site, it's revealed that this agent is none other than James Bond himself. Uh, what do they call him? White, White Knight. White Knight, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I I liked how that was kind of done, too, because it was like you're hearing the feedback through uh, Tanner, I think the guy's name Mm was, um, who was, like, talking to him on the headphones and all that. But it was funny because you just kept hearing him like, yeah, I see it. What about it? Talking about the plane. And it's like, oh, then, like, a truck moves, and it's like, okay, do you see now the nuclear missiles attached to this plane? And then everyone else is like, oh, no, what have we done? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's too late to call off the missile. So Bond immediately jumps in and starts all sorts of chaos, manages to take control of a Russian plane with the co-pilot knocked out in the back seat. Bond manages to take off this Russian plane with the missiles, but another plane catches sight of it and takes off after Bond. Um, they take off just before the missile arrives, exploding the compound. Huge explosion. You would think a nuke went off, but it was just a mm-hmm. missile being launched from the uh, from the British Royal Navy. Um, while the while the pursuit plan follows Bond, Bond's co-pilot regains consciousness and proceeds to ch- attempt to choke Bond out. Bond is a very skilled pilot, however, as he is dodging missiles using only his knees to control the stick. And mm-hmm. ends up underneath the other plane, with the other plane being none the wiser. Bond then proceeds to eject his co-pilot into the passenger seat of the other plane, <laughs> and it crashes. Bond makes some snarky remark 
I don't remember what it was, but it's some. Uh, he talks about having a backseat driver. That's right. That's right. I always had backseat drivers or something like that. Yep, yeah, I, I definitely marked it. Any of his little um, comments that I feel are either like really really funny, not just stupid ones, or set a tone. I, I usually try to write down. They're that was great. one of them because I, I that was like perfect. Writing them down because Pierce Brosnan to me is one of the best Bonds at doing those snarky remarks. Oh yeah, the movies are filled with them. So I only write perfectly. like ones that stand out to me. Yeah, like they they all do. But mm-hmm. there's certain ones I'm like, okay, this scene in particular that works out really good. Yeah. Other ones I'm like, that's cool, that's clever, but I don't need to mention yeah. it. This was one I mentioned because it was just funny and it set the tone for the beginning. Um. But then it just didn't seem to follow that much. This is where the flow kind of yeah, you know, goes up around. and down. Like it, it had a really kickoff, um, good start to it, uh, in my opinion, up until the opening credits. And then it just kind of died down after that for a little yep. bit. And that's where we are. We cut to the intro mm-hmm. song. Um, Tomorrow Never Dies, performed by Sheryl Crow. Sheryl mm-hmm. Crow, still big, but very big in the late 90s. So no surprise that they got her for this. Um, and it was a good, nice uh, transition into it too. It was like when the jet was. took off and the, the flames and all that. What do um, you What do you think though? I mean, I thought the song was like I love Cheryl Crow. I thought she did a good job singing it, but the song overall, I thought I was I thought it was kind of meh. Like so, it wasn't bad, but it was meh. You know, it was it was just so so. Again, more of no, nostalgic, yeah, nostalgic feel to it. I enjoyed the song because it was, like I said, this was the movie that I watched over and over again growing up. Mm-hmm. However, even then, listening back to the song, I liked half of the song more than the other half. Yeah. So, like, listening to it and, and watching it, I felt like it was a good flow up to a certain point. And it just seemed like the song had the same flow that the movie did. It was like it was building up. It was good. It, it went along with everything. And then it kind of, like, shifted tone mm-hmm. and then came back. So I, it was decent. It was not the strongest out of the intros we've had. Um, I, I thought it was a decent song, but I can't say I loved it. I can't say I hate it. Yeah, it's just it's man. I'm like it's kind of right there in the middle. Yeah, like I said, there was parts about it I liked, and there was parts I didn't like. So it's overall decent. Um, even like the and the same thing with the intro. Yeah, even the design, like the visual effects and whatnot. I thought I, I thought were so so. Some of the things I pointed out that I that I did enjoy is. Uh, when you first cut to the intro song, I, I immediately just flash back to, to, to high school um, biology class where you're looking through microscopes at like cells and whatnot, because I, I call them I called them microscope people in my in my notes. But you cut right to like all the female bodies like swimming in, in, in like a mm-hmm. like a circle and it looks like a Petri dish. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Um, I yep. like the use of X-ray in this. I thought the X-ray did, yeah. use was really I- cool. Um, I put the x-rays and uh, smoke effects were of really neat it, how they brought them back. It wouldn't be a Bond intro without silhouettes. Um, mm-hmm. But we also tied in the one thing that I, I just think didn't work was what I've deemed the circuit board people. You know, yeah. the, the circuit board ladies dancing. I just, that didn't, that didn't really work for me very well. Um, but the x-ray, mm-hmm. the x-ray I thought was really, really cool. Um, that was a neat, neat add-on that I, that I, that I liked a lot. Yeah, and that was it the glass shattering effect. I thought yeah, was kind of neat. Yeah, yeah. But those were like the two main things: mm-hmm. was the X-ray silhouettes and then like the the glass shattering. And like I said, the music was kind of up and down, so um, it was it was overall decent, yeah. but it wasn't my it was favorite so, so. intro. It was so so. Mm-hmm. Um, but from the intro song, we cut to the HMS Devonshire in the South China Sea. Chinese MIGs fly over, and the boat proceeds to panic. Chinese says they are too close to the coast, but Britain claims that, no, fuck you, we're in international waters. 
Cut to mm-hmm. Carver Media Group in Hamburg, where a hacker is fiddling with some satellites. And then we cut to a stealth boat, where Dolph Lundgren's son is captaining it, captaining it a.k.a. Stamper. Dude looks like a young Dolph Lundgren, just saying. Just saying. Okay, I was going to say. He's not like, Dolph Lundgren's son, but I will continue to refer to him many times in my review as Dolph Lundgren's son. <laughs> I mean, A.K.A. Little Dolphy, as I like to call him. Little Dolphy. I see the resemblance. It just threw me off because I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> um, the stealth boat proceeds to launch a drill missile towards the naval ship, causing extreme damage. And this drill happens to be remote controlled, so they can drive this thing all through the ship. Britain immediately blames it on the Chinese MiG, saying they must have dropped a torpedo. And there's a dude that looks like Steve-O we see for half a second on this Royal Navy ship. Don't know if you <laughs> caught that, but dude looks straight up like Steve-O. Um, no, I didn't uh, actually. The drill breaches the ship, and we see you know we see it remote-controlled work its way, wreck, wreaking havoc um, on the ship. The British boat immediately sends a distress, distress signal and abandons ship. The stealth, mm-hmm. stealth ship proceeds to launch one missile at the Chinese MiGs, knocking one down. And we cut to a man writing the news story of the event already as it's occurring and gives Dolph's son, a.k.a. Little Dolphy, a.k.a. Stamper, <laughs> the order to kill all but 17 survivors. So we see this instantly. That's the bad guy. Instantly, this writer's the bad guy. He doesn't save any survivors. He kills them all, but he wants to know what the uh, the um, the correct number is because he essentially is is blaming it on the Chinese. I think it was mm-hmm. or somebody. He was blaming it on someone. So he says, "I need to know how many survivors there are," and discreetly says, "Pretty much kill them all," and then that way Stamper can get back to Carver and be like, "Hey, there were seventeen survivors." He's yeah. like, "Okay, cool," and so that way he can put it in his little story that. There were 17 survivors, but they were shot down using so and so ammunition, which is common. <laughs> Make sure you use the right so and so. Yeah. yeah. So he wanted the correct information, but um, there was no survivors. Yeah. They made sure to kill all Everyone's of them, but dead. say there was. Um, from here, we cut to the Carver Carver meeting with the rest of the media group. Um, stocks are up. Things are good. It's good times for business, and it's very clear he's the bad guy. Right from the beginning. Um, yep. yep, making bad news to grow his media network. He makes several references to events that have occurred, which I'll dig, dig into this because I think I left it out of trivia time, are actually real events that happened over the previous years before this movie released. Um, ah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I also vaguely paid attention mm-hmm. to it. Um, <clears throat> he does have a nice line, though, right, as his little bad man outro after he's done talking to all of his other people. Uh, well, I don't know if you call that, but his phrase is "There's no news like bad oh, news." Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, Which is true, I, I man. That's like, what yeah, medias cool. thrive off of. Good oh, news doesn't true. sell. Yeah, but um, the way he he uh, says it and he delivers that line, it just gives you that chill. Like, mm-hmm. yes, this this guy is a bad guy, and he's not afraid. The to acting admit is it. great. Like, he knows. He's phenomenal. Yeah, like, he is phenomenal. Um, he kind of sets a tone for himself, yeah. not necessarily as the good bad guy mm-hmm. of the movie, but for himself as the bad guy from the very beginning um and we cut to bond who is currently having sexy time with a dutch lady at cambridge i believe i know and i you know i will have to say though in this scene i don't know if you call this there was an aston martin sitting outside yes which is like the only time we see that car so yep. like hey it's at least his, makes an his appearance. db5 yep and he's called by money penny bond arrives 
2 headquarters in the Aston, and Judy Dench is still a badass. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. r- uh, reports are coming in saying Britain is sending their Navy to China because of the attack, but M is sending Bond to investigate Carver because his story came out three hours after the survivors were found. And they, yep. and they re- noticed a mysterious, mysterious signal that came from one of Carver's satellites. Um, <clears throat> while, while Bond and him are driving along, more mission details are brief. We won't get into them too much. But the biggest thing is Bond has had a previous relationship with Carver's wife. So M wants him, wants him to leverage that um, and essentially punch her, punch, not punch her, pump her for information. <laughs> um, side note, there is so much sexual innuendo between Bond and Moneypenny in the Pierce Brosnan movies. It is insane. Oh, yes. It yeah, is insane yeah. how much sexual innuendo and tension there is. Good God. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's palpable, if you will. Yeah. Cut it yeah. with a knife. It's definitely there the whole time. Um, in like all of the movies. Indeed. Indeed. <clears throat> we cut to Bond arriving at a German airport and he requests his automobile reservation. I love this scene. Where who shows up? I, I grin it. <laughs> this is like one of my favorite scenes because remember this is like my first introduction to Q because it is now Q time. But the way he shows up is perfect because it's like he taught bond talks to this lady. He's like, yeah, I'm here to pick up my car. And then next, you know, it's like you have this, uh, you know, car rental salesman coming up and start asking him about insurance. He's like, will there be this? Will there be that? And I just, I love this scene between them. Yeah. Fire, fire damage, water damage, probably death and disturb- probably, yeah. death and dismemberment. I certainly hope not. <laughs> so yeah, it was a it was a it was a good cue moment. It was a good cue moment. Uh, but this kicks <clears> off cue time, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us for this very special episode of Cue Time for Tomorrow Never Dies. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Q Labs is back and mobile again. Exactly mobile. We have heard your complaints. We have heard your cries from the previous movie. And well, we have made up for that with a very, very special offer for this one time only and probably the next two movies if I remember them correctly. So not really one time only. More of like (laughs) the first of three potential opportunities. But ladies and gentlemen, we have for you only one gadget. Technically, I lied. Two gadgets in this Bond film. But boy, howdy, do they do it all. Ladies and gentlemen, I introduce you to the new as of 1997, BMW 750. Yes, it is the four-door German-engineered vehicle. Very elegant, very Bond, very sexy. First time Bond's driven a four-door car in a Bond movie, and I believe the last time. But I believe you're right. We won't get on that because this BMW, ladies and gentlemen, is equipped with machine guns, rockets, GPS, and a female guidance system. Because who... You know, it's the same reason you've got series of female voice and you've got, you know, Amazon's a female voice and all GPSs are female voices because it's soothing. It's relaxing. And bomb bonds, a misogynist. So he responds incredibly well to that kind of stuff. <laughs> I think you even makes a mention of that, too. Indeed. Like I gave her a woman's voice. Thought you would maybe listen, listen to exactly. her. Exactly. Yep, <laughs> yep. Listen to her better. So that's the car, all the shindigs, all the little gadgets here and there. But the real feature of this Q time, ladies and gentlemen, is the cell phone. That's right. 
I believe this is the first cell phone we have in a Bond movie. Or the first gadget yeah, cell so. phone, at least. So we yeah, have a cell phone, so. ladies and gentlemen. And it yes, it absolutely looks like the old school Nokia, Nokia's from the late 90s and early 2000s. Arguably the best cell phone ever to be invented. But this telephone, ladies and gentlemen, is equipped with a fingerprint scanner. Not only does it scan fingerprints, you can duplicate the fingerprints and use it to get into safes, as we'll learn later. It has a built-in taser that only points at you for some reason. Very specific <laughs> gadget. We'll also get into that later. And the feature of the show is this phone is also a remote control for your car. It flits, flips up like an old school sidekick and there's a touchpad, which did not work very well in the 90s, but works very well for driving cars, apparently. And you can remote control the vehicle. So, ladies and gentlemen, these two gadgets are bundled together, together obviously, because you need the remote control. Q Labs was at the cutting edge of driverless smart cars in the 90s, long before Elon Musk, long before Tesla. Fuck all that. Q Labs did it first. So, all of this can be yours for the low, low price of... If you've ever dealt with a car dealership, you'll be ready for this. You ready? You can finance this car for 38, give or take. I've never bought a brand new car. 38 low payments <laughs> of $699.99. That's right. And the phone's thrown in with it. And I'm sure it's got a key fob built in too, so you can remotely beep beep your car because he does it later on in the movie. I think the, the, the antenna to the phone was like a key lock That's or something, That's right. Too. The antenna was a, a, a uh, universal lock pick. We've seen those in previous Bond yeah. movies, but this one's equipped into the phone itself. So, not many gadgets this week, but definitely some of the most technologically advanced ones we've dealt with. Um, side note, if you're wondering how, how do you drive this remote-controlled co- you know, car, how does it drive with using a touchpad? Well, ladies and gentlemen, Bond himself demonstrates this at our at our demo show during this film, and uh, he seems to be a natural at driving and has played a couple video games in his day. I believe Gran mm-hmm. Turismo had been out by this time, um, so he's probably a big Gran Turismo fan. Um, and based on his last movie, I, I I would think he's he's probably at least picked up a habit of video games, considering his last movie became one of the most iconic games of all time. That's very true, ladies and gentlemen. That is it for Q Time, featuring Tomorrow Never Dies and the man himself, Q. Unfortunately, remember, we have very, very few moments with Q left. <laughs> it's very true. Very few I, moments uh, with Desmond Llewellyn left. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not looking forward to his, his final movie. Savor them. Savor those moments. Savor them. Because he was in all of Brosman movies, yes. right? Yes, yes. But was not in um, any of the Daniel Craig's. Any of the Daniel Craig's. That's right. Okay. I couldn't remember. I was. I couldn't remember if he was in all of Brosman movies or if it was most of them. We'll uh, we'll get there though. Um, but from Q time, we cut to Bond arriving at a party for Carver, a event that he has hosting. Carver is entertaining and introduces in and is introduced to Bond as Bond being one of the new bankers for his organization. And we see, and Wei Lin comes up in the middle of their conversation and completely interrupts them, rude, and introduces herself and proceeds to flirt with Carver, who pulls her away. Apparently, he yes. he likes the ladies, and because she um, poses as a Chinese reporter. Yes, yes. Bond spots Carver's wife, aka the beautiful 
Terry Hatcher, a.k.a. Lois Lane from The New Adventures of Superman, a.k.a. one of the Desperate Housewives, which, yes, yes, Eric loved the Desperate Housewives. Judge me not. <laughs> and Terry Hatcher. No, not at Terry all. Terry Hatcher is still fine to this day. And she slaps him immediately, showing that they have a history. You know, they've slept together. She asks, you know, do you still sleep with a gun under your pillow? Throw back to the gun under the pillow stuff from the old ones, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so they have a little back and forth. And Carver spots Bond flirting with his wife. Carver goes up there with Waylon and introduces her to his wife and Bond. Bond blatantly questions Carver about the satellites with no subtlety whatsoever <laughs> in the middle of this this situation just makes it very clear that he's not a banker he's here to investigate him not very subtle yeah. not very subtlety no subtlety from from bond in this moment um they leave carver excuses himself with his wife and, and questions his wife on how he knows mr bond and she lies you know i barely know him met him in zurich at you know at a banking thing and carver immediately knows that his wife's lying about bond and pulls stamper aside aka little Dolphy, to take care of the problem waylon and bond have a quick chat before bonds pulled away for a quote-unquote phone call as carver starts his presentation bonds taken to a room and interrogated and beaten senseless um i don't know why bond decided to take so many punches and kicks in the chest before he decides to fight back throwing people through mm-hmm. you know the glass window and escaping Stamper goes, Stamper's called to intervene, <clears throat> but Bond has, has slunk away into the power room and cuts the power in the middle of Carver's speech that's being broadcasted around the globe. Yeah, and he was on a roll, too. Like, he was, like, just starting to get to that, like, peak of his um, speech when Bond cuts the yeah, power. Yeah, and I will say this. I do love, like like, with Bond fighting in the side room, there's no like music or anything. It's just you're hearing Carver's speech. I thought that mm-hmm. was a very good choice where he's like, you're always hearing his speech, even when it cuts to Bond fighting. Um, so I think that yeah, was really, yeah, it really, was good really, really neat. Um, but from here, we cut to Bond drinking and hanging out at the Atlantic Hotel where he's just sitting back, tie undone, sleeves rolls up, puts a silencer on his gun. He's just waiting to fuck somebody up that walks in the door. Mm-hmm. Back at Carver's, he's watching the news report who are making funning, fun of him for this giant media mobile who loses power in the middle of a presentation. Carver's wife attempts to com- comfort him, but Carver's not having it. And he just has an, an, an epic level monologue. That's the one thing I will say about this bad guy. And it all has to do with the actor. You know, uh, mm-hmm. the bad guy's motivations and whatnot, I don't necessarily agree with. I thought they were very, very weak. But the way this actor portrayed carver was magic man like like he he does like we'll get to it he does like five monologues in this movie like and they're stereotypical Mm -hmm. bad guy monologues but he plays them so well no he really Um, does but carver monologues and bond we cut back to bond waiting in the room where carver's wife shows up aka terry hatcher yep they have a brief chat back and forth where terry hatcher gets very seductive with Bond, not the other way around, but they kiss and proceed to make the sexy time. Mm -hmm. Back at Carver's, 
the hacker that we saw from the beginning that bought the American satellite MacGuffin for the film discovers Bond is a government agent. And that yeah, his wife is fake banker's yes, background. And that his wife, they, they cut out some background sound and it's revealed that his wife has a much deeper history with him than, than she let on. Um, and then Carver proceeds to make an appointment for his wife with the quote unquote doctor. Back at the hotel in the morning, Terry Hatcher gives up as much information on Carver that she can and leaves. From here, she gives up the location of like his lab in a newspaper printing it's like a facility. Secret floor. And yep. Yeah. So we cut immediately to the newspaper printing facility where Bond sneaks in through the roof and breaks into the lab, stealing the red box MacGuffin from a wall safe, which he uses, hashtag Q time, the fingerprint scanner to do he scans the fingerprint and then puts it back on which does not work in real life um i don't know may have worked with fingerprint locks in the 90s i'm not sure but does not work in modern day times but he steals the red box MacGuffin back and as he's leaving he hears a drilling sound coming from a nearby door he braces up against the door waits for the door open and pulls a gun and finds wei lin breaking in as well they have a brief fun back and forth as an alarm goes off. And ladies and gentlemen, mm-hmm. we instantly go into a chase fight where Bond's taking out guards. Waylon's doing stuff. They're each using gadgets. She uses this awesome repelling thing where she's walking vertically down a down a wall, which looks really fucking cool. Um, and you can see I, I like how, you know, Waylon's gadgets like she's far more acrobatic and. Agile, yeah, more of like the you know, and mm-hmm. Bond's more of the punching people, you know, the more rough and yep. gruff fighting style. Um, yeah, I liked how like during the scene as they're both trying to escape, you can kind of tell like she set off the alarm, so they all know that there's you know people in there they're not supposed to be, but they're all chasing Bond as she's just kind of making a clear exit. That's like the best part because Bond's like, really? He's like, I snuck in, no one even knew I was here, and now they're all chasing He's me. He's the one causing a bigger <laughs> scene, man. Well, yeah, well, that's because she set off the alarm and the guys came to figure out what was going on with the alarm and that just happened to be where Bond was trying to get out of because she set off the alarm in the room that he was getting ready to exit. Yep. Um, and that's like the best part. It's like she caused the distraction that brought all the guards to Bond's location. And then Bond was like, uh, great. <laughs> and so he had to like fight them all off to get out of there. But the worst thing about this is the poor, poor security guard which i'm sure is not a henchman and has nothing to do with any of these devious plans and no ladies and gentlemen this is not frank because this poor bastard bond throws into the printing press (laughs) and you see blood start going all over the paper as he squeezed through the printing press and bond then just makes a casual joke of they'll print anything these days (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. You know, I had that one down too. I mean, poor guy, man. Like, what are you gonna, what are you gonna tell his wife? Some dude threw him into the printing press. Um, <laughs> poor bastard. Uh, Bond is Bond is able to escape to his car, um, escape and gets to his car. And when he's in his car driving away, he gets a phone call from Carver, who knows the box is missing, and says. His wife is at Bond's hotel. Yep. And look how he answers the yep. two. He, he, when he, Bond answers the phone, he's like, hey, um, you have two things that belong to me. And Bond's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, well, you have my red box. And, and my wife, you also have my wife at your hotel yeah. room. 
Yep. Yeah. And so Bond's like, oh, oh no. And then, like, beelines for the hotel. Makes a, makes a 180 and goes straight towards the hotel room. But as he arrives, we see that Stamper and the boys are already there. Stamper sees Bond mm-hmm. arrive from the roof. In the parking garage, Bond puts the MacGuffin into his glove box and sets, sets the security on his car before leaving. Bond arrives to the hotel room where he finds poor Terry Hatcher dead with a new story of her death playing on the television. Yeah, I was going to say, that was the first thing I caught when he mm-hmm. walked into this room. I was listening, and I'm like, wait a yep. minute. And then like I listened closely as the scene started going on. I'm like, well done, yep. well yep. done. Um, <clears throat> when Bond's looking at Terry Hatcher's body, the quote-unquote doctor reveals himself, which I love this actor. You see him in a lot of things, but I, 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 thought, it yeah. was, I thought it was great. I thought this back-and-forth scene between them was really, really funny. Uh-huh. And it, it's it's actually really funny because uh, just the actually I think it was actually last night as of the time of this recording, um, if I'm not mistaken, my other half was watching the old school Sabrina, mm-hmm. the teenage witch, and I'm pretty sure he was in one of the episodes. And I'm like, hey, it's funny that guy was just in my uh, Bond movie. I was doing the review on the other he night. He also <laughs> plays a character in Psych later on, like season seven. Or, or maybe eight. that was it. He plays a character. No, in okay, Psych. no, because no, I haven't gotten that far in yeah. Psych. I don't know. I just remember seeing him. I thought it was Sabrina, the Teenage mm-hmm. Witch, like the old school version. But just because I was trying to think of what was on TV the last couple yep. of days. But uh, it was funny because I saw him and I'm like, hey, that's the uh, the guy from uh, the Bond movie. I was just reviewing. I can't remember his name. He does so many things. He, I'll have to look him up. He he's does, he's he does a character a actor. He's, he's in a lot of things. Um, mm-hmm. But the doctor reveals himself. And we cut briefly back to Hinchman attempting to break into Bond's car. They try and open the locks. They get shocked. They try and use sledgehammers, and it just bounces off the, the windows of the car. Um, and we cut back to the doctor having a brief conversation with Bond. You know, hey, listen, I'm going to kill you. It's going to look like a suicide. This tape's going to go on air. Sorry. It's just business. Like, that's mm-hmm. kind of what I do. I'm very good at it. I'm also really good at torture. And he's like, I bet you have a doctor. Bond's like, I bet you have a doctorate in that. And then he's like, no, just a hobby. But I'm very gifted. You know? Yeah. So I love the, the, the cute dynamic back Little. and forth. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, the earpiece that the doctor's wearing screeches. And he's like, ah, Stampa, why? Yeah. And Stamper's like, listen, this is kind of embarrassing, but we can't get into the car. Can you, like, make him give us the code to unlock the car? And then the doctor's like, I'm sorry, this is so embarrassing, but th- you believe it seems you have a device in your car and they want me to make you give us the code, give them the code to get into the car. I'm this is so embarrassing. I don't know what to say. You know? Yeah, I like how he kind of like <laughs> apologizes by asking. Yeah, I'm sorry. This is this is just embarrassing. Bond, Bond says his phone is the key and gives the doctor a code that the doctor puts it on the phone. But. It triggers the hashtag QTime, the very specific electroshocker that only points towards you when you're holding the phone. For this yeah. specific scene is the only point, the only reason that gadget gadget existed. I, I feel like in, I say the real world, not the whatever happened in the real world, but I think it's meant just because of the design of the phone. That way, if you were going to use it to taser someone else. You would flip the phone around to taser them. Like, I don't think it's meant to taser yourself. Either way. But it, it it's the is the only use it has. It's a safety feature. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's clever because it's like, oh, my phone unlocks a car. And the doctor's like, no, no, no. I'll do it. Give me the phone. And Bond's like, okay. Well, then use this code then if you're going to do it. Because you're going to electrocute yourself. 
So it's like a nice safety feature, but then you can flip it around to electrocute someone else. So like it's a, it's a clever spy trick. It really is. It's a nice spy gadget, well put into the phone, especially since the the special lock picking things on the top of the phone. <laughs> Um, so Bond, this allows Bond to get the upper hand of which they're fighting over the gun and Bond pulls it close to the, to the, to the doctor's face. And the doctor's like, I was only doing a job. And Bond goes, so am I boom and shoots him. Yeah. And I, I like how it's, it's worded. Yeah. Too. And I love this scene too, because the new story was Terry, you know, Carver's wife was found dead with an unidentified man. That's all the new story said who both of them believe to be a murder-suicide situation. So the plan was for the doctor to make Bond look like he committed suicide after killing Terry Hatcher. And Bond doing the close-up mm-hmm. shot, roll reverse. So now the doctor is dead in yeah. the hotel room and is the unidentified man looking like he committed suicide. So mm-hmm. I love that that was um, and that little twist. And what what I enjoyed is like like you were talking about that scene about just doing my job, the way that they word it is like the uh, the doctor when Bond grabs the gun and slowly turns around, he's like, "Look, please," or, or he's, I forget what he says. He's like, "I am just a professional doing my job," mm-hmm. and Bond says the same thing. But you can tell Bond it's per- it's has got a little bit yeah. more emotion yeah, it's behind personal. it. Yeah, it's definitely personal. It definitely yeah. is. But I mean, you can tell what the way he says. It. He says the same line. He's like, "You know, I am too." Or me too, so or something. I. As he does it, but you can tell there's there's more of a uh, um, a heavier oh, yeah. tone to his voice when he delivers oh, yeah. that. So I mean, it is a really really good scene. Um, but Bond proceeds to sneak out the window as police arrive and Stamper looks looks on from the balcony again. Bond makes it back to his car, but he's his car surrounded by henchmen. What is Bond to do? Well, he pulls out the phone and begins remote control driving it just as he showed his skills during queue time and jumps into the back seat as the car drives past him. It is car chase time, ladies and gentlemen, using every gadget in the book. Dropping, um, Oh yeah. Shoot. What are they called? Uh, like they're like, they look like jacks, but they're like wheel spikes. Um, uh, Caltrops, um, dropping Caltrops, um, Using missiles, using roof-mounted missiles, using all sorts of gadgets and, and, and whatnot to wheel around this parking garage, taking out self-inflating tires because he runs over his own caltrops and lets the car follow him into him and reinflates his tires at the other, as the other car loses theirs. All sorts of gadgets. There's cars chasing Bond. There's people all over the car garage. But ladies and gentlemen, there's one man in particular in this garage. And this man is none other than Frank Joseph P. Hinchman the third. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Frank is back. In the last movie, poor Frank was trying, trying his damnedest to get back into the Hinchman game. Picked up a part-tribe job as a Perrier truck driver. And Bond ruined that. Well, what happened, ladies and gentlemen? Frank got fired from his Perrier job and moved to Germany. You know? Not a far drive. Well, not a far move from Russia to Germany. I don't know. Probably farther than I think it is. I don't live in Europe. (laughs) (laughs) But. Close enough. Moves to Germany and immediately hears about a job as security detail for this huge media mogul. And Frank was like, you know what? 
this is it. This is the opportunity. This is like I've worked for Goldfinger. I've worked for Dr. No. I've worked for all of these, these, these businessmen, these, these, these global leaders, if you will. This is it. This is my shot. This is my chance. I can feel it. I can feel it in my bones. I can feel it. Feel it in my giblies, if you will. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen. So Frank uh. works his way through the ranks. He becomes part of a security detail. He's recruited by Little Dolph himself, good old Stamper the German. He's recruited by him for this part, part of the special security detail. And then they get reports that they're breaking into this secret agent's car of the name of James Bond. And Frank's like, oh yeah. Cracks his knuckles and he's like, this is it. I got it. I've got him. We've got his car. He's not going anywhere. What Frank didn't know is they had developed the, um, the remote control driving technology while, while Frank was retired. And um, so he was unaware that the car started driving itself. But once the car started driving itself, Frank was one of the few people that saw Bond jump into the backseat of that car. So he knew he was in it. He knew that if they stopped the car, they stopped Bond. For good. Frank was like, I'm not going to lose this chance. So as the other henchmen are chasing Bond around this car garage, crashing their own vehicles, chasing him in cars, Frank's like, listen, that won't work. I know it. I've tried it so many times. It's not going to work. So what does Frank do? Frank goes to the henchman mobile. That's right. Trademark henchman mobile. And Frank pulls out his rocket launcher. Frank stands Mexican standoff style in the middle of the parking garage and waits for Bond to go straight towards him. Frank fires his missile. And unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, he's dead on accurate. But throughout all the chaos, the windows of Bond's cars have finally shattered. And the rocket goes directly through the passenger cab of Bond's vehicle and blows up his fellow henchmen in the pursuit vehicle. Now, you may ask yourself, there's a man standing in the middle of the road, which is Frank. Does Bond stop for this man? No. Bond attempts to run Frank down in his remote-controlled car, and Frank has to dive out of the way at the last minute. And he goes on living with the guilt of killing his fellow henchmen while trying to kill Bond. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Will that destroy Frank as a man, as a human, as a spiritual being? Or will that inspire him even harder to get back at the man that has ruined his 50-year life? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for the story of Frank Joseph P. Hinchman III. That's Frank. I'm happy... I'm happy to see that Frank is back. Dude, in he's back. He almost had him. First time since 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 Live and Let Die that he actually had Bond like on the ropes. Like had the windows not broken out, Frank would have killed Bond in that moment. But sadly, it's true. This is the first time Frank has to deal with murdering his his fellow henchmen. So we'll see how he uh, how he recovers from that trauma. Um, he mean, God, God, God knows he's had enough trauma in his life with his wife leaving him twice. Um, <laughs> no, I hate, you yeah. know what? Listen, bad things happened. The um, the kids, the kids have moved out. They still talk, but it's not the same, you know, um, bad news guys. Um, his dog, God got ran over by a car. It was awful. It was a horrible situation. 
Frank's had hard times. Frank's had hard times. But anyway, that's the story of Frank. For Tomorrow Never Dies. Frank will return in The World Is Not Enough. Forgot the name of the next movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, Bond, after, after dodging Frank's missile, Bond drives to the very top of the garage, jumps out of the car when no hitchmen are, 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 can see him, and proceeds to continue remote control driving the car off the roof of the parking garage, leading the henchman vehicle to follow for some strange reason and teeter precariously on the edge of the parking garage. So two things that I thought was really neat throughout this whole scene. I mean, tons of gadgets, tons of gadgets. One of the other gadgets that I thought was neat, but had no purpose other than for this scene was the uh, the BMW emblem on the hood that pops up as a like little saw blade specifically designed to cut the cable that just happened to be in front of the car trying to stop it? Single single use gadget, man. There's so many of those in yeah, this movie. Awesome. And that, that's that's one. Well, that's um, one thing I don't necessarily like. Like I like gadgets, but I don't like the gadgets that are just for a single use. Because they wanted to do yeah. a cool action scene, and that's all that one was, and that's all so, several was. of these were, um, unfortunately. But so the other thing is, and I don't know if you picked up on this, um, and if I'm remembering the scene correctly, before Bonds takes the car out of the parking garage, like across the street, the um, the AI or the voice pops up and says. Um, Warning, unsafe driving will void warranty, yeah, yeah. which I thought was hysterical because Q was doing the warranties mm-hmm. and all at the beginning when he first gets the car. And, like, the car is, like, beat up, run down, windows half out. I mean, it's gone through some stuff. But when Bond sends it off of the um, the parking garage into the building, did you notice what the building was that it crashes into? Uh, I don't remember. It was the car rental place. Oh, nice. That's funny. Which was which was awesome, and then it um, the car even says congratulations on a safe travel. Yeah. So like he it goes off and lands right through the front door of a car rental place, and that's how it ends. I'm like, that's cool. Funny. I like yeah. that. He he like rented the car and took it back. Yep. That's the only time um, we 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 see the car. We have a fun fight scene with the car, and that's it. There's yeah. no more car. I mean that's that's your typical Bond yeah, car though. Yeah. If there's gadgets and there's use for it, it doesn't. It make doesn't it. make it long. Um, but from here, we cut to Bond arriving via helicopter, where he is met by none other than Jack Wade himself. Um, mm-hmm. God, Jack Wade, and he's 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 as Jimbo as ever in this movie. I love it. I love yeah. it so much. And Bond has the missing American GPS encoder. They proceed to talk with some dude in a suit who's just a busybody. And they verify that the GPS coder is, in fact, the correct one. Um, but they see that it's been tampered with. And Bond asks if these changes could have thrown a ship off course. And the guy's like, yeah, you know what? Probably. Probably. Mm-hmm. Um, Bond asks Jack Wade for a favor because good old Uncle Sam is officially not involved in this. But unofficially, they have no interest in watching World War Three start. I like that. Yeah, yeah, I like this little comment yeah. too. Officially, we want nothing to do with this. Unofficially, we're not interested in watching World War Three start, so we got you. Um, they proceed to calculate where the ship actually sank, and Bond is dropped off 
near the site of the sunken Devonshire. As Bond jumps, they realize that he's not jumping into Chinese water or international waters. It's actually Vietnamese waters. And mm-hmm. he cannot be caught because he is covered with American logos here and there, and they will just not be having it. Bond proceeds to halo jump, cuts the chute at the last minute, and dives down under the, under the water to investigate the wreckage of the Devonshire. He discovers that there are missing missiles in the, the missile room, along with many, many dead bodies. Mm-hmm. And Waylon surprises him underwater, and she pulls, he pulls her scuba mask out and then realizes who it is and is like, oh, yo, we cool, it's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> the ship begins to shift as it's teetering, teetering on the edge of a shelf and traps them in the missile room. The ship continues mm-hmm. to teeter like it's about to fall off the edge of that continental shelf, and they see that their only chance out is to swim through a long tube but they can't swim through it with their tanks their tanks are too big so they take one final breath swim through the tube and escape to the surface where waylin and bond greet each other and waylin calls over her boat but wait her boat's not coming because her captain is impaled with a harpoon gun and stamper stands on deck he's taken control Mm -hmm. of her boat Bond and Lynn are then taken to Carver via helicopter and are handcuffed together. Where as they're brought to Carver, he's writing their obituaries. Which is very morbid, but cool nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Carver continues to monologue here as well, where he says he's starting World War III for reasons. For business, to be the biggest media mogul in the world, even though he's already the biggest media mogul in the world. Um, yeah. So he just does it for reasons because he's a bad guy, just generic. Um, mm-hmm. Carver Carver goes to leave them with Stamper for torture time because we find out Stamper was trained by the quote unquote doctor that we saw earlier, and is hoping to break his record of keeping somebody alive for fifty four hours before they die in torture. Rather morbid. Bonded Lynn immediately even before Carver leaves the room, cause a ruckus and escape to the roof using Carver's banner to slow their fall. Instantly. Yes. They're, it happens so quick. It's insane how fast that scene happens. It was, yeah. Um, but they jump off the roof using a, a, ba- a banner of Carver's face, rips it down the middle to slow their fall, and they stop short and break in through a window and just casually walk out where they go to a, a, a series of motorcycles that are there. You know, Waylon says, let's take a car and goes, Bond goes, no, let's take a bike. It's faster. And then they go from bike to bike, to bike, to bike until they get on one bike in particular, which is a BMW. Yes. BMW must've paid a lot of money. I'm sure because they not only had a bond car in this movie, but they had a bike in this movie as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I did notice that when it was I, now I didn't notice it when he was going through <laughs> But I noticed the BMW logos all over it in the next couple yeah, scenes. Yeah. I'm like, oh, hey, it's a BMW. Yeah, they're not afraid figure. of doing close-ups on that BMW logo. No. Um, but they proceed to uh, es- escape and drive through the, the, the tiny streets of Vietnam, going back and forth. Full-blown bike chase, ladies and gentlemen. They go manage to somehow work their way up to the rooftops where they're riding on top of the roofs, and a helicopter starts chasing them. Um, Bond proceeds to jump the bike over the helicopter into a room and interrupts some Vietnamese sexy time, um, yeah. which I thought was cute. 
Um, and throughout this whole scene, they're handcuffed together. So there's a little bit of fight back and forth between when they first get on the bike of who's going to drive. And then, you know, if they're driving with Waylon behind Bond, you know, Bond's left hand's not on it. So he's talking about shift, do this, do that. She flips around behind, you know, in, to sit in front of him so she can look behind and give locations of bad guys. A lot of flipping Constantly back and jumps forth. around multiple times. A couple yeah. sexual windows of her, you know, sitting on his lap. And she's like, don't think of anything. And he's like, wouldn't dream of it. In reality, mm-hmm. he's dreaming of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they go back and forth in this situation. And then we see, you know, they manage to jump through, interrupt the sexy time. And the helicopter is proceeding to tilt its blades forward and chopping everything in its path while it's following them down this crowded street. They turn off to a side street um, where they're trapped. There's no way out. The helicopter starts doing the same thing. It's tilting its blades. It's getting ready to chop them up. Bond and Waylin have an idea, though. She grabs a hook and Bond goes full speed towards the helicopter as they slide underneath the blades by sliding the bike. And Waylin hooks the rope chain thingy to the back rotor of the helicopter, causing it to crash into the side of a building. We cut from here immediately to Bond and Lynn showering together in the middle of a street. They have a brief back and forth where it's like, will they, won't they type situation, you know? She pulls Mm -hmm. her earring down and, and breaks out of her handcuffs and leaves Bond handcuffed to the shower, saying she works alone. Bond then breaks the shower and proceeds to follow her. <laughs> I, 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 I got to kick out yeah, that scene when I watch it, just too. Pulls like, it. She sits there and, like, picks the lock without him knowing and just handcuffs him to it. And, like, oh, yeah. And instead of Bond trying to do the same thing, he's just like, boom, breaks the pipe, walks away with the handcuffs. Yeah. He's like, I don't need that. He proceeds to follow her, and she goes down into a basement of a building, but there are henchmen there as well and we start a straight up ninja fight situation going on with bond following her but casually taking his time working working his way there fakes to light some guy's cigarette punts him in his face punts him in, punches him in the mm-hmm. face punches another dude in the face meanwhile we've got Waylin doing an awesome ninja fight thing with some henchmen and bond shows up at the last minute of the ninja fight taking out the final henchman yeah, they, I, I love this scene just because it's like it's them as spies doing the complete opposite. You know, she's fighting all the, the bad guys in the building, this and that. And Bond's picking off the bad guys outside without anyone noticing. He's just kind of like walking up. It's like, oh, I see this guy over here. I'm going to take him yep. out. I'll see this guy over here. I'm going to take him out. And like just kind of doing his own thing, slowly working his way inside the building. And meanwhile, she's just like taking out like five people at a time and just going to town. Yep. Um, but I, I kind of really like the scene watching the two of them work differently. Oh, yeah. yeah. But doing the same thing. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, after the henchmen are taken out, they agree to work together. Lynn shares her info with Bond um, about them you know, believing it to be a stealth boat and what the Chinese government is, is doing. Um, Wei Lin has a dope secret layer with red computers mm-hmm. and all. And they've got their own queue. They've got Chinese queue. Um, Chinese Q, also known as Q, because I guess it's Q-U-I. Is that how you pronounce Q? I don't know. Anyway, Ah. they've obviously got their own Chinese Q because they've got fire-breathing dragon gadgets and all sorts of stuff. Um, I love the cute moment where Bond's like, hey, listen, I'll tell our our governments what we've got going on. You get the weapons. And then he goes to the keyboard, and it's all in Chinese. He goes, correction, 
I'll get the weapons. You yep. send the messages. <laughs> and she just kind of smiles and laughs like she knows better. Because she like steps back and like, all right, all right go ahead. I want to see how this goes. Knock it out. Uh-huh. Uh, and actually, like throughout this whole scene, especially when all the gadgets pop out and Bond's going through all the different gra- gadgets and grabbing stuff, it's funny because he makes a lot of like casual little mistakes that he just kind of plays off. Like he leans on, I think, the dragon and blows fire. And he's like, whoa! Yeah. And he kind of like jumps and startles him. And then he like plays with a fan, and she kind of looks up like she's getting ready to say something, and he like flings spikes Everywhere. and ropes in every which direction. He, he was like, "I've always admired Chinese ingenuity." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so he like he starts to realize he shouldn't be touching yeah. everything there. It's it's a really neat um, scene, and I, I do really like it, and I like the chemistry between Pierce Brosnan and um, Michelle Yeoh. I, I thought it was I thought it was very very well done. Yeah, it's one of the the better parts. Yeah, of this movie. yeah, agreed. Um, but once they gear up, they're able to track down the location of one of the stealth boats. It could be where, where the stealth boat could be hiding and send the messages to their respective governments. Cut to Bond and Lynn, Bond and Lynn hitching a ride to the bay where the boat may be hiding. And again, we see a, we see a lovely, I've said this in, uh, the man with the golden gun. I love Chinese sailboats. They're so cool. Mm -hmm. They're so cool. Um, so they hitch a ride with a Chinese sailor who says he'll take them close enough, not all the way there, but close enough. And we see them, you know, on a little, little dinghy boat working their way from Cove to Cove in this bay. Um, and it's dusk, it's getting dark soon. And on the last Cove, they spot the stealth boat leaving and manage to sneak aboard. As soon as they sneak aboard, <clears throat> they immediately set explosives in the boat, we realize that this stealth boat is in between the Chinese and English fleets. That tension is high, man. Each one of them is waiting for the other one to make the first move, and retaliation happens. World War III goes on. Mm-hmm. So in the boat, Carver's orders a, a missile to be fired at the British fleet. During this time, Wei Lin is spotted on the camera, and and and... and Carver orders Stamper to go get her. If she's here, Bond's here. Stamper, Stamper manages to take Wei Lin. And Bond hides around a corner, waits for a guard to come out the door, stabs the guard, killing him, and uses his body as a decoy, causing Stamper yes. to shoot at the guard. And Bond throws the guard, you know, knocks the guard into the water. And Stamper thinks Bond's dead. Meanwhile, we cut back to Stamper bringing Lynn to Carver and reporting that Bond is dead. Um, briefly, we cut back to jolly old England, where M gets the message from Bond, and presumably the Chinese government gets theirs as well. M gives the orders to look for a stealth ship, something small on radar, something tiny that you know is difficult to detect. We cut back to Bond, who sets a grenade trap in a glass jar, which I thought was really cool, using a little timing thing to break the um, break the glass, triggering the gr- grenade. Mm-hmm. And we cut back to Carver, who is monologuing to Lynn yet again. Yet again, another epic bad guy monologue. We're at like monologue four, right? Four, Something four, like five. That. I mean, he monologues a there, lot. Yeah. Um, Part of his character, though. Yep. During this, we cut back and forth. A lot of back and forth in the scene. Um, Bond manages to take the hacker, Gupta, the buyer from the beginning who had the MacGuffin to begin with, hostage. And we have a Mexican standoff where Bond offers to trade the hacker for Lynn because they can't launch the missile without the hacker, blah, 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 blah. 
Carver asked the hacker something, you know, is is the missile ready or whatnot? Pretty much is everything ready yep. to go, yeah. And and the 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 hacker Gupta is like, "Yep, literally all you have to do is start this and the world catches on fire, you know, blah 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 blah." And Carver's like, "Sweet, awesome." And just shoots the hacker like, "Cool. You've done yeah. your job. Appreciate it. Bond has no more leverage now." And he was like, I've, you know, he says something to Bond of, you know, I always have a backup plan. And Bond goes, so do I. And sets off the yep. grenade trap, causing an explosion. Chaos ensues. And we cut back to the British Navy where we see that the ship is now visible on radar because of the explosive. Mm. Fighting going back and forth. People dying. People getting shot. Bond punching people in the face. Lynn kicking people using taekwondo or karate or whatever the chinese martial art is i forget um bond and lynn split up to stop the lynn goes to stop the ship bond goes to stop the missile the british fleet has seen the uh the stealth boat on radar briefly but since the explosion subside they're having a hard time seeing it so they fire a flare and they spot the shift ship the quote-unquote old-fashioned way and begin to chase it I love the scene. Just briefly before this, they had communicated their findings to the Brit- to the Chinese Navy. Yeah, to the Chinese. Yeah, and the Chinese was Ch- Chinese was like, "Yo, yep, we saw that on our radar too." Hey, listen, as of now, they're not hiding to Chinese shores, so it's all yours. Good hunting, you know. Yes. So the Chinese is like, "Listen, unless they turn our way, it's all yours. Knock it out. Have fun." Yep. So World War Three mm-hmm. is automatically not going to happen from this point on because people were actually communicating. <laughs> so they fire the flare they spot the ship and they begin to chase and fire upon it Lynn gets to the engine room and does some awesome super cool karate moves and manages to stop the ship in its tracks meanwhile in the missile room Bond causes yet another ruckus with all sorts of explosions and gunfires and blah 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 yep. and all sorts of things with stamper going on and debris ends up falling on Bond and yet again Stamper thinks Bond's dead. Again. Cool. Um, <laughs> you didn't learn the first time. Uh, the abandoned ship order is issued on the stealth boat, and you've got henchmen and people running all over the place, jumping into the water. Everyone's trying to get the hell out. Um, Carver immediately sends Stamper to go find Lynn since Bond's taken out. Now we got to take out the other one. Right after Stamper leaves, Bond escapes from the rubble. And goes into the control center and is found by Carver, who has Bond at gunpoint and begins to monologue yet again. He begins to monologue, giving Bond just enough time to activate the drill missile behind him, holding Carver in place as Carver is eaten by the drill. (laughs) Um, Very poetic. Very poetic. Interesting, though. That, that drill's used two times. It's used to take out the ship for some reason because you didn't have to use that missile to take out the ship. You just could have used any missile to take out the ship. But you chose to use the drill missile. And then the only other time it's used is in this scene. So, very mm-hmm. worthless thing. Um, but uh, after after Carver is eaten by the drill, Bond attempts to disable the bond, bomb, but Stamper's back back with leverage he has lynn chained up and Mm -hmm. drops her into the water and begins to fight bond 
They go back and forth. Obviously, Stamper is more powerful. Bond's being you know knocked around, blah, 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 blah. Bond manages to get the final pull, pulls a, a, a lever which releases the missile and traps Stamper's foot underneath the, the back of the missile. They go back and forth. They fight for a little bit longer, and Bond attempts to jump off into the water to rescue Lee, Lynn, excuse me, and Stamper grabs his, his vest and is holding his vest and is like, we die together. You know, you're not going anywhere. Bond attempts to unzip his vest. Won't unzip, won't unzip. So what does Bond do? Bond reaches back and grabs the knife that he had stabbed Stamper in the chest with earlier, <laughs> pulls it out of his chest, cuts off his own vest, falls into the water, falls into the water as the missile launches and burns Stamper alive. Um, underwater. Now, go. I say Bond also put like a, a little explosive or something on by like the rockets. That way, when the missile rockets like kicked on, it set off like a little explosion. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it wouldn't actually um, like that launch. way the missile wouldn't actually take yeah. off, but it would just kind of explode instead. Yeah. So like, yeah, while Stamper was stuck, the flame kicked on, starting to burn Stamper, and then it ignited the little explosion thing, which just blew, which just off blew up the missile instead. Yep. Um. <clears throat> So underneath the water with the explosion going off above, Bond and Lynn kiss underwater and Bond rescues her and they swim to the surface. Cut back to M getting reports that Bond survived and Carver is dead. And I love that she makes the new story of, let's say Carver died on his, t- died on his yacht in the South, si- yep. si- South China Sea. Let's make it a suicide. You know, like, fuck this mm-hmm. guy. You know, um, we cut back to the British fleet calling out for Bond and, and, and Wei Lin, and they just ignore them because they have all the time in the world to make out on the ruins of the stealth boat. And then now, we cut to credits. You know what? And I have right here in my <laughs> notes. They kiss on the raft as the British ships look for them. And once again, it ends on the water. <laughs> yep. Yep, it does. Talk about a classic throwback. <laughs> I was like, what just happened? An- Here they another are. Another water. Bond movies love out. water, man. On the water. <laughs> and their little makeshift yeah, They love ending the in the middle roll. of the ocean. It's great. It's great. Ah, I, I, I literally, like, I, I put it in my notes and it was just like, end on the water again. <laughs> again. We thought we were done. No. No, we're not. Nope, not at all. So that's the credits. Credits roll, James Bond will return, and in the next movie, the world is not enough. Now, which I remember the song, and I will not spoil it by singing it right now. You guys can wait until next week so you can enjoy my wonderful lyrical interpretation, cracking, cracking voice, and all of the world is not enough. Um. So. And I'm trying to think back because I, I don't think I put it in my notes, either that or I, I skipped over it. Do you remember when or where the um, movie title was said in this? You know, I don't think the movie, I don't think it was said. Was it? Okay. I kept thinking it was and we skipped over it. Like, I think it's said in The World's Not Enough. And It is said in The World's Not Enough. I know it was said in GoldenEye. And I think it's said. And I know it's well, been GoldenEye said in it was only said movies. because the name of the device was GoldenEye. 
Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But usually the title of the movie is, yeah, is, some line is put in somewhere in the yeah, movie. Yeah, I don't remember. I, just, I couldn't remember. I don't remember Tomorrow Never Dies being a line in the movie. If it, See, I want to say it was, if, but I think it was in one of the monologues or yeah. Bond's um, comments back to him after one of his monologues. Yeah, if it, I just if can't it was, where. we missed it. So, audience, let us know if you heard the name of the movie while you were watching it. Because we, we, we missed it. And Jordan's right. This is the first time mm-hmm. we've, we've missed one. Yeah, I was going to say, I know it's in World's Unlocked. Because, like I said, I had a movie and I just recently watched it. So, I know it's in that one. Um, and I know it was in Gold Eye and so on, but I'm pretty sure it was somewhere in this movie. I just didn't write it down. Yeah. Um, but that's it. I mean, that's the credits. Decent movie. Um, things I liked about it, things I didn't like about it. The flow was kind of all over the place. Uh, but before we get into our rankings, um, I want to get your thoughts on this movie, and then I guess we can jump right into the trivia, mm-hmm. and then we'll do our, our, our rating system. Like I said, I had a nostalgic feel to this movie because I grew up on it, so I loved watching it. But, you know, digging into the movie a little bit more, there was things I didn't like about it. Things I did, things I didn't. You're right, the villain didn't have, you know, a good diabolical scheme. But I thought he was a good villain. I thought he was good. I love the actor. Um, I thought the way he played it was great. But his reasons for everything he did was literally just reasons. It was just because, yeah, because you know, there's no, there's nothing, nothing backing it up whatsoever. Um, Pierce Brosnan was awesome as always. He was great, mm-hmm. and I'm nostalgic for this movie too because Pierce Brosnan is the Bond that you and I both grew up with. So I will always say I love all of the Bond movies. But this one is definitely a weaker film in the Bond franchise. It's 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 not great, you know. There's great points. The the, the chemistry between Brosnan and Michelle Yeoh um, was was awesome. You know, I liked her as a as a female counterpart to Bond. I I, I thought it was done mm-hmm. very very well. Um, I like the quips with Q. I like Pierce Brosnan's quips. I like so many things about this man. But honestly, just the story made little sense. There was pacing issues all around. It was it was too slow in the beginning. It was too quick at the end. It was there was there was a lot of problems with it. Um, and I don't think the the super good things, even though I I, I do enjoy it uh, as as for nostalgic reasons as well. There's just a lot of a, a lot of problems with it, man. It was just mm-hmm. going back with a different perspective. It was it was definitely weaker um, than I remembered it being. Um, yeah, and I'd agree with you there. Uh, and I remember you saying that there was some trivia on that that might uh, shed some light. So with that being said, I think it's trivia time. It's trivia, trivia, trivia time. Da-da-da. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Trivia Time for Tomorrow Never Dies, Pierce Brosnan's second run as James Bond 007. Ladies and gentlemen, fact number one. The original title for this movie was Tomorrow Never Lies. Not dies, lies. Which makes sense when you consider that the media mogul Elliot Carver was creating the next day's headlines in advance. And the name of his newspaper was Tomorrow. Um, but in a ty- a, because of a typo on an early script draft adopted by the producers, Tomorrow Never Dies was used instead. 
So it was originally supposed to be Tomorrow Never That's Lies, great. and they typoed it with Tomorrow Never Dies, and they were like, I like that better. I think it fits yeah. better. It would have been a hard movie, Tomorrow Never Lies. <laughs> uh, like, hmm. Fact number two, just before shooting the scene where James Bond and Wei Lin get on the motorcycle, director Roger Spottiswood took Pierce Brosnan and Michelle Yeoh aside separately without each other's knowledge and told each of them, not to let the other get in the driver's seat. The result is the scene you see in the final moving with Bond and Waylon fighting over who gets to drive before they get on the bike. That's awesome. <laughs> That's cool. I mean, that, I feel like that definitely made that scene yeah, better. Yeah. That's pretty clever. Um, <clears throat> number three, for the fight scene in the bicycle shop, producers you near know, the Waylon ninja fight, Mm -hmm. Producers had to call in Jackie Chan's stunt team because none of the stuntmen wanted to do the scene with Michelle Yeoh due to her full contact fighting style, which she perfected while she was a member of Jackie Chan's stunt team. That's great. So she had to call in. They had to call in the people she used to work with to do the stunts because their stuntmen weren't used to fighting like real fighting. And that's Mm -hmm. all she she had done. Next fact, Sir Anthony Hopkins was originally cast as Elliot Carver and joined the production, but he walked off set three days into production because it was so chaotic. There was no complete script due to pressure on Eon Productions to finish the movie on time. New pages of the screenplay were being delivered every single morning. So this movie was like literally literally being written as it was being filmed. And I think that spl- explains a lot of the pacing issues, a lot of the yeah. the lack of information, a lot of the lack of motivation for characters. So apparently they was it was being so so incredibly rushed. Um, cuz this movie came out in December and they were still um I think I've got a fact that says it later. They were still filming it in like March and April of the same year. Of 97. Oh, wow. So they were still filming it like six months before it came out. Um, so everything was just super, super rushed. Um, next fact. This movie made particularly heavy use of gadgetry because some fans thought there was too little of it in GoldenEye. Um, I disagree. I thought there was too yeah. much gimmick gadgetry in this. And I said it during the review. You know, My mm-hmm. least favorite gadget is the gadget that's there just for one specific scene. You know, that's my least favorite gadget. Um, Next fact, Michelle Yeoh got along very well with Pierce Brosnan during filming, saying afterwards that Brosnan was, quote unquote, a gentleman. Always nice to hear of my boy, Piercy. That's what I call him when we go out for drinks. Piercy? Piercy. That's a good good one. I wish. Um, (laughs) (laughs) When Guts Otto was called in for casting, he's the one who played Stamper. He was given 20 seconds to introduce himself. He started introducing himself saying, I'm big, I'm bad, I'm bald, I'm German. That's five seconds. You can keep the rest. (laughs) And I'm like, that's a badass way to start a a casting call, right? You know, (laughs) that is awesome. I don't need the other 15 seconds. (laughs) Next fact. It works. Yeah, dude, you got the job, right? 15 BMW 750s were destroyed in the making of this movie. That's it? That's it. 15 BMW. Well, there's a, it's only in it for two scenes. <laughs> I know. Um, the When it's first introdu- uh, yeah, introduced mm-hmm. at and then like, and then the parking um, garage. The airport. 
And the yeah, parking garage, it. yeah. So how many parking garages did they God, go through? God knows. Um, <laughs> as of 2019, Elliot Carver has the distinction of being the only James Bond villain with a spouse. Granted, he killed his spouse, but he had a spouse. I will have to go back and watch for this. I did not have time before we started recording, but I, I mean, I believe it's there. Um, a young Gerard Butler makes an appearance as a leading seaman of the HMS Devonshire in the very beginning of the movie. Like when they're panicking and it sinks, like apparently one of the scenes, one of the people they cut to is a young Gerard Butler. Later, huh. he was considered to be James Bond in Casino Royale. He was one of the picks before Daniel Craig, but he turned it down due to fears of being typecasted in the role. Interesting. So we could have had Gerard Butler as James Bond instead of Daniel Craig. Uh, that would have been very interesting mm-hmm. to see. Mm-hmm. I love finding out the people that could have been Bond. I think that's one of my favorite part of doing these reviews is the people that were mm-hmm. considered for Bond before the actual actor. Yeah, and to think about the movies we could have exactly. had. had it's, the, the, it changed around. It's interesting. Um, I said this fact in the beginning, but the BMW 750i that Bond uses in the movie is the first Q branch car in the franchise that has four doors. <clears throat> um, this movie, final fact... This movie cost $52 million more than GoldenEye. This is the largest budget increase between any two James Bond movies so far. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Huge increase. It's funny to think that it was so much more, yet it sounded like they had so many issues. They had so many issues, and it's not better. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not a better. This is like back to like Moonraker. You know, the more money you spend on it, doesn't make it a better movie. So no, no, unfortunately not. Um, but that's it. That's trivia time. That's trivia time. All right. So now the fun part: ranking. Let's start with our um, movie rankings um, and see where this one ends up because I know it's. I have a feeling it's not going to be on the list like we or like I originally <laughs> thought it was going to be. I kept thinking it was going to be higher until watching it and looking back at my notes. I'm like, yeah, yeah it's not, not going to be that not. high. Well, the list is as follows. Number one, GoldenEye. Number two, From Russia With Love. Number three, You Only Live Twice. Number four, The Spy Who Loved Me. Number five, Thunderball. Number six, License to Kill. Number seven, For Your Eyes Only. Number eight, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Number nine, Goldfinger. Number 10, The Living Daylights. Number 11, Dr. No. Number 12, A View to a Kill. Number 13, The Man with the Golden Gun. Number 14, Octopussy. Number 15, Moonraker. Number 16, Live and Let Die. Number 17, Diamonds Are Forever. So where does this movie go? Where or where do we put on this, this long, long list? Obviously, we're not in the top five. It's not, or even in the top ten, if I think about it. It's not better than. Well, let's we'll do top five. It's not better than Thunderball number six. License to no. Kill. It's not better than License to Kill. No. It's not better than For Your Eyes Only at number seven. No. Not better than On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Mm-hmm. Definitely not better than Goldeneye. Um, is it better than Living Daylights? It's close. What's what's under that Doctor one? Doctor No. See, Doctor No was a good, good Doctor movie, no a good but movie, that one yeah. was 
it, that one was also very um, spycraft oriented yeah. or oriented. I can't pronounce words. Um, versus this one was kind of had had the mix. However, the flow wasn't that good. Versus Doctor No had a little bit better flow to it. I mean, um, Doctor No was cohesive too. Yeah, yeah, but like we also had to think. Although we liked Carver as a villain, you're right. He did not have a good, you know, villainous scheme to it. Um, so it 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 kind of hurts him in that aspect. I mean, we had a good bond. We had eh, a little too many gadgets or, or overuse of gadgets. Yeah. I I think. Um, what's under Doctor No? View to a view to a kill to a kill and that was uh that was roger moore zorn and that was roger moore yeah zorn zorn and mayday roger moore and christopher and so even Walker. that one even that one had a little bit better story to it yeah yeah you're right um i don't know it's definitely not better than dr no in my opinion i could no, i could no, go I, mean, I could go above or below a view to a kill it doesn't really matter I think I had more. I think I had more fun watching this movie, but I think than I did a View to a Kill. But I think that's probably nostalgia talking. I, I'm agreeing with you there because I definitely enjoyed this movie. But I think, it, like you said, yeah. it's nostalgic. But also, it's it's I mean, what we grew up also along, a View but. to a Kill had a, had a good bad guy, but it also was like it had the the really bad, you know, like Roger Moore stuff because Roger Moore was old as shit. So like all of his stunts and stuff were stuntmen that was like super super obvious stuff yeah so. but at the same time the, the story was decent um i mean and you had a little bit better yeah. plan i as far as the villain plan goes i mean they're pretty close i opinion. think i would still put this above a view to a kill though um simply because I think the bond, the bonds. I mean, granted, you know, the bad guy doesn't make much sense. The story doesn't make much sense, but the bond is better than a view to a kill. The relationship that Michelle Yeoh has with Bond in this movie makes up a lot of ground for me as far as comparing it to a view to a kill. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mean, I would put it at the new number twelve, replacing a view to a kill under Doctor No. Yeah, I mean, I, I could agree with you there. I mean, like I said, they could go either way yeah, for me. I think it's um, splitting hairs at that point. I mean, they're they're very very yeah. close in quality. Um, but as much as I, I I shat on this movie for various reasons, or critiqued, I guess would be a better term. Um, I still I still would I still think this would be a little bit better than a view to a kill. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not I could, much. I mean, like you said, not I, much. I definitely enjoyed but, it more, but a little but. better. Um, yeah. Dude, there's such a big jump between like number eleven, Doctor No, and A View to a Kill. Like Doctor No is so much better than A View to a Kill. It's true. Yeah, there's it's such, true. There's such a, big, a jump. big jump between just one spot. Um, High highs and low lows. Yeah. So <laughs> applies for a lot I more guess than we'll, just the Roger Moore's. Um, well, so we'll settle on that. It's the new number twelve. Yeah. Yeah, we'll put them down twelve. So the final list of Friday Films Bond and Review Rankings so far is number one, GoldenEye. Number two, From Russia With Love. Number three, You Only Live Twice. Number four, The Spy Who Loved Me. Number five, Thunderball. Number six, License to Kill. Number seven, For Your Eyes Only. Number eight, 
on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Number nine, Goldfinger. Number 10, The Living Daylights. Number 11, Dr. No. Number 12, The New Tomorrow Never Dies. Number 13, A View to a Kill. Number 14, The Man with the Golden Gun. Number 15, Octopussy. Number 16, Moonraker. Number 17, Live and Let Die. Number 18, Diamonds Are Forever. Getting so close to the end. Well, I have to like start like taking those deep breaths and just like rambling on as fast as we can, almost like an auction. When we get to the final, right? Yeah, number one, we got this. Number two, we got this. Number three, number four, we got this. We got <laughs> just keep on going. <laughs> that was a pretty good uh, auctioneer's voice, man. I don't know if I could do that. That's pretty. Uh, that's pretty solid. Well, when you don't actually speak words. Join us in the next Friday Films Review Series, where instead of instead of me doing cue time, we do Jordan's Auctioneer Corner. <laughs> no, I am not trained in the uh, auctioneer language. Um, I dabble. It's not a language. A bit it's just gibberish until somebody holds up a paddle and you go five hundred dollars in the back. Hey, <laughs> even gibberish is a language to somebody. Okay. Um, All right. Well, villains, Jordan. What we got? Villains. So our current villain list: number one, Goldfinger and Odd Job from Goldfinger. Two is Alec Trevelin. Trevelin Jordan. Trevelin. Thank you. <laughs> I say it wrong every time. Um, and Zeno on top in Goldeneye. Uh, number three is number two from Thunderball. Four is Sanchez and Dario from License to Kill. Five is Stromberg and Jaws from The Spy Who Loved Me. Six is Christasos, Locke, and Eric from For Your Eyes Only. Seven is Zorn and Mayday from A View to a Kill. Eight is the Spectre General and my favorite Red from Russian with Love. Uh, nine is Jackson Jaws from Moonraker. Ten is Blowfield from You Only Live Twice. Eleven is uh, Scaramanga and Knickknack from The Man with the Golden Gun. 12 is Kanaga, Claw, and Baron from Live and Let Die. 13 is Dr. No from his self-titled movie. 14 is Blowfield, Wit, and Cade from Diamonds Are Forever. 15 is Blowfield from Owner Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, 16 is Yurgi, Whitaker, and the Milkman from The Living Daylights. And 17 is Khan and Gobinda from Octopussy. That being said, where are we going to put this lovely, lovely villain that we have, Eric? Uh, well, let's start the same place we did with Tomorrow Never Dies, because I think the villain in the movie are, are on par in quality. So let's start at number 10. What was number 10 again? I kind of, so I kind of blanked out. <laughs> well, I was kind of speed running through them too. So 10 is Blowfield from You Only Live Twice. Underneath him is Scaramanga and Knickknack from The Man with the Golden Gun. Okay. Um, then you have Kanaga, Claw, and Baron. Um, my thing though is when you start getting down in the bottom of the list, cause then you have to actually know at 13. I know we said movie wise is a little bit better, yeah. but villain wise, I feel like Carver is a hard villain to place just because he's kind of got that. Yeah. I mean, he's got the villain monologue I mean, down pat, but he's kind of so got good, that. But like the motivations and the reasons yes. were just such shit. Exactly, exactly. Because as far as the villain goes, he was almost like uh, Zorin. Yeah. Um, and Christopher Walken, as far as a good actor, good character, but his, like you said, his meaning behind everything he did was not strong. Yeah. Um, 
he was great with monologues. I think he's the best monologue Hands villain down. we've had so like, far. Dude, if I was um, so if I mean, if I was captured award by right him, there, and he just man. started talking. I'd be like, "Keep going, big man! Like, talk all day." Yeah, sure. this pro- yeah, talk all day. It prolongs my death. I mean, this is awesome. I mean, he's the villain you want to be caught by. But um, that being said, I mean, definitely charismatic. But it's just the reasons, dude. Mm-hmm. I can't get past the reasons. There was no know, motivation like for, his, World War for his III. plans. There's zero motivation whatsoever. Yeah, it's just start World War Three so that they can be the the main newscasting of the of everything in the war and pretty much go from a, a million dollar company to like a billions dollar company. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I mean, it's it, it was really I mean, just made to make himself better than he already like, was. Like, if if his if it was not him starting World War Three, if him if it was him starting some small scale shit. I would have been. Just to make himself I would have been more okay was, yeah. because that would be on par with. I mean, Goldfinger's our number one villain, and his plan was to irradiate the gold in Fort Knox to make his gold more valuable. You know, so it was a business mm-hmm. thing for him too. But he wasn't starting World War Three. He wasn't starting. No, this, he was a little bit more clever with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, like the the reasons for for Carver to have this international incident was just was just not there, man. It just wasn't there. It wasn't yeah, believable. Yeah. Um, so I had trouble putting him above Blowfield from You Only Live Twice because yeah. even that Blowfield was plan was what um, he like brainwashed a whole bunch of girls to essentially. No, the Blowfield that was the Blowfield from On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Oh, that's yeah. right. I'm getting the wrong one. Blowfield from there's too many Blowfields. Yeah. Blowfield from You Only Live Twice. We've got one more coming up. <laughs> Don't tell <laughs> me. Um, but Blowfield from You Only Live Twice was the. Um, the you know the one with the face the volcano layer yeah he was a volcano layer one. Oh uh, yeah, yeah that's right that's right well even then i mean he was like the head of specter and all so like, even then he was more diabolical and had better plans um but when you get to scaramanga and knickknack one of the reasons why they were lower on the list to begin with is because their plans from the gitco was just personal between them and bond yeah or really scaramanga and, and bond who was the better showmanship or whatever you want to but, call it i mean even so, their motivations were, were, were oh motivations were is definitely I mean, better yeah i mean I, I mean they definitely had more motivation i would agree with you there um the only thing is it becomes a little bit more personal instead of you know like world ending um but i mean once once you get down to dr no i mean where do we draw the line as far dude, as it's so hard to put this man on this list because like and, and the reason is. why is because his the his Jonathan Price, the actor that played him, is is phenomenal, and he he ate up this role. And like when he was on screen, like you believed him as a bad guy, but it's just everything else just is not good. Like like Stamper as a henchman is just generic German. You know, there's nothing. Yeah, and special he was just kind of following orders. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't. You know, like Jaw Strong. Yeah. Or, I mean, there's nothing um, special about him as a henchman. Or like Dario Crazy or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, it's just, he's just there. And he's blonde and he looks like a young Dolph Lundgren, which which props, you know. <laughs> yeah. But um, I don't know, dude. Like, honestly, honestly, anywhere in that in that area is, is fine because he's, I, I can't... I'm having a hard time putting him in either way because, like, I can't bring my, I, I can't, I, I almost don't want to put him above Doctor No because, 
the reasons are just so bad. But yet the acting and like him eating up the, his presence on screen is so good. And the monologues, man, the, his monologues. Yeah. Presence. I mean, so it, honestly, well, anywhere under, in that range, anywhere in that range, I think he's, I think he's fine. Well, I mean, you got Dr. No at 13, Kanaga, Claw, and Baron at 12. He's better than them. And Scaramanga, uh, Scaramanga and Nick Knack at 11. Dr. No's 13, Scaramanga and Nick Knack are 11, Kanaga and Claw are, are 12. 12. Who's above Gold, uh, um, Scaramanga? Uh, Blowfield from You Only Live Twice. Blowfield from You Only Live Twice. Um, that's 10. So Blowfield stops the, the top I would 10. Put him, He's the last of the top 10. I would put him above Kanaga and Claw and the Baron. I would put him above them. Because of his because of so, his monologues, that's that's yeah, I, I mean think that's the thing. If that's where I would probably put I, him, I, I feel that had they, especially from the sounds of trivia, had they spent a little bit more time getting this movie solid before jumping into it, he could have been, so, been so good. The whole movie could have been phenomenal. So it would have been it would have been amazing. Um, I think if they had a better story for the villain, like a better plot and all that, <clears throat> he would be easily up in the top five. Yeah. But because that's the thing that's hurting him the, the most is that nothing made it didn't make just, sense. Like no, it was not a good villain plot. I mean, he he was a good villain. He wasn't afraid to kill anybody. He wasn't afraid to you know make himself appear as the villain, even though he was hiding behind his big news company and all that. Um, and like I said, obviously the monologue was great. Or if or yeah, if they if they even just changed his his job where he's not this media mogul. That he is just an international terrorist, and he wants to start World War Three because, in the words of Michael Caine in The Dark Knight, some men want just want to watch the world burn. He could have had the exact same freaking lines, the exact same dialogue, the exact same monologue, and it would have been so mm-hmm. much better because we get that he's just a terrorist. You know, he's just trying yeah. to start shit. That motivation would have made more sense than a media mogul. Who wants to yeah, start good. World War Three just to turn a profit? So, yeah, I mean, I'd I'd put him there. I'd put him with, you know, right there underneath Scaramanga and Nick Knack, just because. But there could have been so much potential. All they would have had to have done is chosen a different career for him, and and yeah. and, and the and motivations. That, would I don't have think been that better. really falls. I, I hate to say it because it doesn't really fall against him as a villain. It kind of falls more on the movie and the story plot and all form. But but it, if, it affects him as a villain, man, because there was. I know, it, I know it does. It does just like it does with all yeah, the rest. Because it made so, no I mean, sense. It definitely does. But so, so I'd put him. I put right, him down so, there with Scaramanga and Dick Nett. So that brings our current villain list to Goldfinger and Oddjob number one. Um, Alec and Xena, number two. Number two at number three. Uh, Sanchez and Dario at four. Stromberg and Jaws at five. Christostos, Locke, and Eric at six. Seven is Zorn and Mayday. Eight is the Spectre General in red. Nine is Drex and Jaws. Ten is Blowfield from You Only Live Twice. Eleven, Scaramanga and Knickknack. Twelve is now Carver and Stamper. Uh, 13, Kanaga, Claw, and Baron. 14, Dr. No. 15, Blowfield, Wet and Kid from Diamonds Are Forever. Um, 16 is Blowfield from Her Majesty's Secret Service. 17 is Yergi, Whitaker, and the Milkman. And 18 is now Khan and Gobinda. Khan and Gobinda. Yes, still holding up the rear. Good for them. God, that was a hard one to rank. 
It really was. That was the hardest villain we've ever ranked. That was that was difficult. It, it really was. And and yeah, for nostalgia and purposes, that was one of the hardest movies to rank too. It, it really I thought was. that would have been. Like I said, I, little, enjoyed I thought that would have been a little way. bit higher up before we started reviewing these. I thought that would have been a little. Agreed. I knew yep. it wasn't going to be in the top five, but I, I, no, no, I, I assumed it would be at least in the top ten. Yeah. Like especially rewatching, like oh yeah, but I, I, again, I think it's a lot of it's nostalgia because this was the one that I watched over and over again on DVD when I was. And I still up. love it. I still um, love. I still love. Oh yeah, it. definitely enjoy it. Definitely. Enjoy but it. it's not. But it's it, not good. <laughs> no, especially when we go back and actually, you know, diagnose yeah. it and look yeah. at it deeper yeah. than just like, oh, it was a cool movie growing up, you know. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested to see the next movie. So I'm excited between that one and the next Brosman movie. After that, uh, was it Die Another Day? Was Die Another Day is the movie. final one, 2002. That one I remember, but not a lot. Um, so I'm curious to see where those. T- next two are going to rank compared to uh, where we're at right now. Because, I mean, you have GoldenEye, which was great on both lists, and then you have this one that's kind of like lower half on both on lists. Both lists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like those other two are not going to be where we think they're going to be either. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Well, that being said, uh, next week we have The World's Not Enough. Uh, and with that, Eric, I'll let you take it out. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us for James Bond in Friday Films, James Bond in Review, featuring Tomorrow Never Dies. Once again, if you liked what you listened to on this episode, don't forget you can follow us on any social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Presents. We're getting in there, man. We're, 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 we're coming up on the final block. We got two more Brosnan movies, and then we're in the final block of Daniel Craig. So if you haven't caught up yet, catch up now. Um, and watch along with us. Let us know what you think. Who's your villain? Did you like Carver better than we did? Was Tomorrow Never Dies better than we gave it credit for? You're wrong on both accounts, but I'd like to hear your opinion either way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so don't forget, Hoodoo Presents, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Thank you. Back to you, Jordan. All right, everyone. Till next week when we watch uh, The World's or Review. Well, we already watch Review The World's Not Enough. Uh, we look forward to everyone letting us know what you guys think and keeping up with us. And till then, let the credits roll. <laughs>